How's it going, everybody? I am Luke. Doing, um, well, this is the pilot, I guess you could say. That's the, the industry term. A little pilot for a new show I'm doing by myself called Around the World of Hockey. A little subheading of with Luke Buckley, of course, but you don't have to say that. I kind of, I, I got this idea, you know, I do the, the, the Charging Buffalo show with, with Joe, of course. That's still going on. It's just, I can't live in this constant bubble of only talking about the Buffalo Sabres. I got to get out of it. And so, I, 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 I like, quite frankly, I like listening to myself talk. I, I, I see this as an opportunity to grow. And I hope that if you're listening... You can grow with me and and listen to what I have to say. Uh, but pretty much, the, sh the idea for this show is just I'm going to talk about all things hockey. Some days it might just be NHL, others if there's international dues. It is, after all, the world of hockey. I'm dedicating this show to the world of hockey. So, eventually, I will get there. Alright, there will be stories developing all across the, the hockey land. Of course, there always is. But, I... Uh, I always find myself on the Charge Buffalo show wanting to talk about more than just the the Buffalo Sabres, and of course we venture into to you know talk about the Winnipeg Jets, of course, and uh, there is some playoff talk every now and then. But I have musings, if you will. That's the word that's running through my mind lately. Thinking, planning this show, running through my mind of I got to get my ideas out there. I got to talk about my ideas for the league, the NHL as a whole, hockey as a whole. And so, this show is going to be an outlet for that. I have complete, what's the word? Complete autonomy, you could say, over the show. Over, It's all my ideas. It's all my production. I'm a bit of a loner, so it's going to be great. I have my own complete jurisdiction. So, as I said earlier, I hope, I see this as an opportunity to, to grow my analysis of course and my, my my hosting abilities my my skills so i'm glad you could come along with me now this being the pilots of the show i wish i could you know what let me tell you more about what the show is actually going to be okay i see it as more of a variety kind of hockey show it's going to be hockey talk sometimes perhaps some sketch some sketches as i foresee some little uh, humorous sketches i want to have some just show my personality a bit and interact with you guys. Uh, I'll give you my personal Twitter, of course. Most likely, if you're hearing this, you know it, but follow me at LukeTCB. That is L-V-K-E-T-C-B. Follow me on there, and I hope to interact with you guys, all of my, my listeners, if I have any, starting out. Um, you know what? This show is going to be a lot like a, a hockey prospect. It's going to develop over time. I hope to have... Gaston, come summertime, I want to get to learn the technology of Skype and recording calls, all the stuff like that. But I don't want to bore you guys anymore with this little preamble. I wish I had something fun to introduce you with. Of course, the show will develop as we go on. As you listen, you'll notice. I don't have to brief you on all that. The first topic in Around the World of Hockey History is going to be the GM meetings. That are going on at the moment. I think they're going on in Florida. I didn't write that in my my notes here, but of course the annual GM meetings 
a bunch of guys in suits with lots of money get together in a hotel room or wherever they go, some kind of boardroom with their Starbucks and their smartphones and whatnot, their laptops, I presume. And they talk about the future of the National Hockey League. So a couple of the notable changes that come up. Of course, rule changes are discussed here. Uh, that uh, The state of the game is, is discussed, of course. And that's pretty much the most important thing that goes on here, other than probably a little bit of golf and whatever they do to pass the time down there. But the first rule change on the docket that we will talk about is a helmet rule where if a player loses their helmet, loses their bucket on the ice, they got to leave or else they'll be penalized. I'm not sure what the penalty will be classified under. I, I can't even think about what it might be right now. Uh, but yeah, a player will be penalized, a skater that is, for losing their helmet and not putting it back on or not going to the bench. So we we know that goalies, once they lose their helmet, the whistle blows. That won't be the case for forwards with this rule going into effect. One has to wonder if maybe, I mean, obviously, well, here's the deal. The NHL, Gary Bettman, likes to present this, this standpoint that there is not a concussion problem in the National Hockey League. We've done just enough to prevent head injuries. There's there's no problem whatsoever, despite lawsuits and despite playing media coverage and every other sport having concussion issues. This is clearly a veiled attempt to limit concussions and limit head injuries. And though the NHL will never outright address that there is a head injury problem in their sport, they will take maneuvers like this. And I think that part of the, the, the mainstream narrative and why the NHL gets so much flack is because they don't address it head on. But they're still doing things like this. And of course, it hasn't been approved yet or passed into law. But they're still doing stuff like this to prevent head injuries. I think Gary Bettman a lot of times just really tries to save face for some reason, but it's, it's, it's unnecessary because... We know it's happening, but throw that all out. Whatever. The NHL is doing this. It's fine. Something had to give, and if they don't want to address it publicly, whatever. The public all knows that it's a problem. Fine. Whatever. They're finally taking some kind of step to prevent head injuries from happening. So that's fine. I mean, you got to address, you got to give out a penalty to really force players to do it. I mean, it's whatever. If it gets the job done, if guys aren't getting CTE and going off the deep end one day and, you know, turn to alcoholism, then it's fine. Okay, whatever. Get players off the ice. You shouldn't be on the ice. This is actually long overdue. You shouldn't be on the ice if you don't have your helmet on. I think it's it's been a long time coming, but maybe this is a point in the direction of maybe the NHL, Gary Bettman, the league as a whole, is changing their stance on publicly addressing this because, of course, the news of this rule is going to get out. And we know that perhaps this will lead to the NHL changing their public view on um, the issue of head injuries. But I don't think anyone's going to complain about this rule. It's a, it's a good idea, good decision, and uh, I'm all for it. And you should be too because, I mean, any, anyone who is a, a person should uh, be a fan of this rule and... We'll see if it gets testing in 
I'm actually not sure if it's being tested in the AHL, but a few of these rules have been. But that is that. The second rule that has been proposed is allowing a team that is on the power play to pick where the first faceoff is. This could help. I was watching the, uh, let me think here, what game? I was watching, I believe, the Jets and Lightning yesterday, and whoever the analyst is, uh, the intermission said that this could be a benefit for a team with a guy like a Patrice Bergeron, who is, of course, a very good faceoff man. So uh, what this would entail is if a team gets a power play, then they can choose, of course, you want to have the faceoff in the offensive zone on the left, on the goaltender's uh, glove side, on the goaltender's blocker side, on the side of your center's handedness to better give you a chance to win that offensive zone faceoff. I think this is a, a very good choice. It's almost, it could possibly be seen as the NHL's equivalent of declining or accepting a penalty, I guess it would be the closest thing. You have some kind of freedom, some kind of choice on where you want the faceoff to be. And, of course, for the NHL, it can lead to a growth in scoring. Uh, if a team naturally has to take a draw on a side where their centerman doesn't have the correct head in this, then it could lead to, you know, take 30 seconds to set up and get your cycling going. So it, it leads to the faster offense, cycling gets going quicker, uh, teams get into their groove quicker, and it's going to result in improved offense, I guess you could say. That's the stance that the league is probably taking in making this rule. So expect changes on the power play next season. That's a big strategy thing, too. I like, I like analyzing not analyzing really I don't like to think that deeply about it but the strategy of the sport intrigues me as well and where guys are are situated on the ice uh, where coaches tell their players to be it's just it's fascinating stuff to me so uh, it'll be intriguing to see what happens there if that rule is to go into effect next season or whenever that may be if it's even approved here's a thing that caught my eye as well there's a proposal to change how it is handled when a goaltender freezes the puck. So what would happen is if a goalie were to freeze the puck, that team cannot make a, a line change. So you're stuck with the same forward, same defenseman on the ice, and the faceoff remains in your end. This is a pace of play change that they're looking for. Um, it's kind of to punish a team for freezing the puck. I, I, I agree with this one uh, because I, if you're freezing the puck, you're already kind of delaying the game. It's already kind of a, uh, here we go in our face-off. So, yes, it does speed up the game. I'm a fan of this one. But if you want to keep the game moving and you want goalies to be more involved with the play, get rid of the trapezoid. Get rid of the, the, the forbidden zone. I, I, I believe... I mean, that was implemented after the 0405 lockout, I know. So the 0506 season was the first year of the trapezoid. And I'm not sure exactly what the purpose of that of that rule was. I, I haven't done my due diligence in researching that. But I imagine if you eliminate that forbidden zone and, you know, goaltender won't get a penalty for going into the corners of the boards, then that opens up 
the opportunity with the game being faster than ever there's gonna be a lot more open nets if goaltenders are going down into those corners and playing those pucks but you want to increase scoring boom there it is get rid of the trapezoid let the goaltender go into the corner let them get stripped of the puck let them create turnovers i think uh there's a lot of options that the NHL can do here to increase the pace of play, but this is one, and I, th- I think it's a smart one. Uh, I mean, why not? You're willingly stopping the play, probably to get your guys back out there anyway. Make them keep guys on the ice. I mean, fatigue is bad, of course, for any kind of team, but it might increase scoring a bit. So I don't see anything wrong with, uh, with this move. I think it'll be fine. Uh, kind of an outside-the-box thought, though. I mean, it intrigues me how they they think of stuff like this. Like, here's a wild idea. What if we just did something as little as, you know, changing how freezing the puck works and teams have to stay on the ice? There are two more topics of discussion at these GM meetings. One is one-minute penalties in OT. So overtime is only five minutes, of course. It would hate to see, you know, two-fifths of that go with a team on the power play it's two of the five minutes of course limiting it to one would of course make it more even for teams keep it going back and forth it naturally the game will slow down when one team is on the power play but the issue that has been brought up by some at the meetings is that this will create too much four on four time because there'll be four on three power play then one minute power play ends and boom, he got four on four. And that's what the NHL was trying to eliminate a few years ago when they implemented the three on three overtime. So I understand that. I don't, and after after reading that, I don't think this rule will be passed. I don't think there's much traction to it. How about just don't call penalties? Don't call minor, stupid little penalties in, in overtime. I think if it's blatant, of course, you got to call. If someone gets stick to the face, if someone gets, you know, hauled down absolutely obviously then do it but if if a stick if it's incidental contact and whatnot then leave it you know referees jurisdiction let them have a little more you won't get fired for missing this call but i think that this wouldn't be good okay it's it's just eliminating the whole three-on-three aspect of it uh i mean as soon at the same time though there could be a stoppage in play and, you know, 10 seconds after the power play ends and you don't lose any three-on-three time and guys get to make changes, whatever happens. So I think that... And plus, how would this work if a team has four guys on the ice after killing a penalty, okay? Power play's over. Both teams are even strength. It's four-on-four in overtime. If this rule is in conjunction with the freezing the puck rule, who leaves the ice then? Does it stay four on four? Doesn't that kind of go against the idea of freezing the puck? Are you going to carry over eight skaters into the next shift? So this rule I could see being a far way off. Unless we expand overtime to 10 minutes, I don't think it would kill the players that much. I don't know what the reason would be even. I mean, guys sustain playing three overtimes in the playoffs and playing again two days later. I don't think adding an extra five minutes onto three-on-three overtime would be that much of a detriment to the game. But one-minute overtime, or one-minute penalties, I 
don't think that is going to happen. So I will backspace that out and delete it from my list of topics. And the last really important aesthetic, I guess you could say, change that could be coming to the National Hockey League as a result of these GM meetings is clocks in the boards. This is something that has been at least discussed for a good year or so now, I think. I remember hearing this, maybe not exactly a year, but sometime before this current season began. But it will involve either, think of like how the NBA does it. This is how I imagine it, at least. How the NBA does it. Boom. Shot clock in the backboard. And what this would do is think it would decrease. This is kind of an analogy just to put it in perspective. You won't hear a goalie slamming on the ice with their stick anymore. So guys will know how much time is left on a power play. I didn't look into it that much actually to see if it's just for power plays or if it's for the period. I would imagine it's for both. I mean, with how advanced digital stuff is now. I mean, the New England Patriots have digital nameplates in their locker room. You could easily put that on a board and just show guys, hey, this is how much time is left in your power play. And so don't have to look up. Maybe it'll speed up the game, too. Guys won't be taking an extra five or so seconds. That matters, I imagine. Uh, looking up at the scoreboard, see how much time is left. And, I mean, it would be a cool little aesthetic change. Bring the NHL a little bit more into modern times. But it's a cool idea. I like it. Guys will be able to see the clock more. And uh, it could work. I like the idea of it. Now, of course, I said a reason why I wanted to start this show was to discuss other teams around the National Hockey League. And I'm going to do just that. And I hope to focus on some narratives that aren't exactly being discussed anywhere else in the hockey world or maybe where wherever you are, wherever the... Maybe you're sick of hearing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe you maybe you want to hear more about the underdog. Tell me more about the, the stories that are developing at the bottom of the playoff race. Why is it always the, the top of the division? Who's going to win the Atlantic division? Who's going to win the Metro division? Why can't it be who's going to squeeze into the playoffs? Who's going to be that dark horse team come playoff time? And I'm going to discuss that right now because a team that has intrigued me all season. I've used intrigued probably five times now on the show. That's probably the sixth time right there. But I want to talk about the Arizona Coyotes. Oh, yes. You don't hear about them a lot. But, folks, this team... They're three points out of a wild card spot. I, the Arizona Coyotes, in a very weak Western Conference, they're contending. And there's probably going to be a team in the West that makes the playoffs with, like, 88 points, which is, I mean, unheard of since, uh, really since the lockout, the first lockout in, 0, in 05. But the Arizona Coyotes, they've been battling numerous injuries all year. Derek Stepan, I'm not sure if he's back yet, but he just got hurt a few weeks ago. Looked like he tweaked his knee. I, I hope it's nothing bad, but I am rooting for these Arizona Coyotes. Haven't made the playoffs since 2012 when they made the Western Conference Final. And you look at this team, and man, who who is leading them to this spot? Who is responsible for the Arizona Coyotes, the other desert team? They're already the other team. In the desert. Who is responsible for them being three points out of a playoff spot and winning some hockey games? Well, at the moment, they are 28th of 31 teams in goals for. They have 177 goals. They are 8th in goals against. 
So the eighth least goals against with 186. And that is why this team is so close to a playoff spot. Darcy Kemper has been the goaltender for a long time now. Uh, I think Auntie Ranta might have gotten hurt. Ooh, boy. Was it November or October? It was very early in the season. And the guys had such tough luck. I mean, missed almost all of last season, I think, with another injury. I don't know if it was a knee or what. But the guy is just, he's a great goaltender, and he's just, he hasn't been able to play. And it sucks because this was his opportunity with Arizona. And he's been great when he does play. Last year, 47 games he played, actually. Sorry, my hockey reference. 930 save percentage. Wasn't even in the discussion for the Vesna because he got hurt. It, it sucks. It's as he's seventh in all star voting, but that's it. And you get overlooked when you're playing in the desert. I get it. But, man, it's just unfortunate. Auntie Bronza being hurt. But Darcy Kemper just adding to this ultimate underdog story that the Coyotes have. The backup goaltender, career backup, comes in and really just wrecks shop. For the Coyotes, right? I mean, coming in here, who's their backup at the moment? Uh, Aiden Hill, I think. Aiden Hill from the Tucson Roadrunners, probably their best goaltending prospect, arguably. They've Hunter Mishka, too. But, yeah, let's take a look at Darcy Kemper's stats here. He has a 918 save percentage. That's typically the average in the league. Maybe, I mean, above average. I think the average might be 912, 910, somewhere around there. But 20 wins for this guy. 15 losses regulation, 5 overtime losses. So he's at 500. He's batting 500 in 40 games played. He has had an insane workload because this team is in playoff contention. They're not going to throw Aiden Hill, the unproven backup, in. Hill's played 13 games to Ronta, to Kemper's uh, 40. I'm, I'm sorry, I might have been saying Auntie Ronta there, but I've been talking about Darcy Kemper. He's been superb. Aiden Hill's only played 13 games. Not much room for rest. Kemper quite frankly but I mean the 28 year old finally getting a chance here and he's a guy who you might start to think oh man he's gonna be the next he's gonna be the next Ooh, this backup can be a really good starter in the National Hockey League you look at you look at uh Carter Hutton coming to the Buffalo Sabres he's one of those guys who had a real good year as a backup and now he comes right back in Laurent Brassois is becoming one of those players too I was just thinking about that yesterday when the Jets were playing but Laurent Brassois has become one of those guys but I want to bring it back to the Coyotes Darcy Kemper is the really the main reason as well as Arizona's defense as a whole Arizona has a very very good defense Alex Golagasi has been a incredibly serviceable really underrated at times defenseman in the National Hockey League he's been to a number of teams I think he was a penguin before he was a star I'm a big fan of Alex Golagowski, but he's been real good for them. Jacob Chekrin, one of the best young defenders in the league, 16 points. Kevin Connaughton is a good utility guy. I don't think he's played a lot this season. 45 games he's played. But this it's a deep defensive court. Nick Jalmerson is on this team on defense. I It's it's a really good defense. Oliver ekman Larson, if he was anywhere but the desert, we're probably talking he's one of the best, I mean, the best defender in the league. You have guys who can come in. Jordan Osterley is a good player. He has, what is that, six goals? Six goals for Jordan Osterley this season. Wow, I'm, I'm reading this with you right now. Five goals last year with the Chicago Blackhawks. But Arizona's defense and their goaltending 
And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Coach Rick Tockett as well. This is his second year in the league. But Rick Tockett, 70 points last year with Arizona Coyotes as head coach. Already at 69 this year. And the roster has not gotten much better, quite frankly. I'm looking at this team right now. They've actually subtracted quite a few pieces. Max Domi, Dylan Strom is gone, just wasn't finding his feet in Arizona. I want to talk about their offense now because the number, the, the names at the top of their, their scoring list, it is staggering to think that these guys could even be even in this spot. When you look at their, their numbers, their offense production, the Arizona Coyotes' leading goal scorer is Brad Richardson, the 33-year-old veteran. I remember this guy being on the LA Kings Stanley Cup team in 2012. But Brad Richardson, man, Brad Richards' son, just kidding, is the leading goal scorer for this team. Had a four-goal game a few nights ago, maybe about a week ago, last Sunday or something, against the Canucks it might have been. But Brad Richardson... In his fourth year as an Arizona Coyote, already has set his career high. He's had stops in Colorado, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and now Arizona, of course. What a story this is. 33 years old, 21 points in total this season. But, man, Brad Richardson, what is this guy, a fourth-line center on any other team in the league? After him, in terms of goals, it's three more centers. Alex Galchenyuk, the new acquisition, 15 goals. Derek Stepan, 13 goals. Clayton Keller, 12 goals, 29 assists. That's an all-star right there, 41 points, Clayton Keller. So they're getting contributions, I mean, from their defense, of course, but their offense, they're doing it largely by committee. All the lines are chipping in. Might not be a lot, but there's no true offensive superstar on this team yet. I'm going to go down their, their their list now of top 10. The top four guys I've mentioned, that's Brad Richardson, 16 goals, of course. Alex Galchenyuk, 15 goals. Derek Stepan, 13 goals. Clayton Keller, 12 goals. The, the, the two through four there, you got your Galchenyuk, Stepan, Keller. That's, that's the heart of your team, of course. Five, you got Connor Garland. Connor Garland, the midseason call-up in 39 games, 12 goals already, three assists. 15 points, was with Tucson earlier on. He has, I think he holds the OHL or one of the junior league records for goals scored or points gotten, 120-something, but he's a small guy and very speedy. And Connor Garland has really come out of nowhere. They just re-signed him as well, which might end up being a steal. I think two years, $1.5 million. And he's giving you 12 goals in 39 games playing. I mean, what is this guy? He where would he be on any other team? It's just, there's so many guys on this Arizona team who, as individuals, they define what this team is as a group. Vinny Hinostroza came over from Chicago, and he has 11 goals, 19 assists for 30 points. Seventh on the team is Richard Ponick with 11 goals, 18 assists. Lawson Kraus. The 21-year-old is 8th with 22 points, 11 goals, 11 assists. Christian Fisher is ninth on the team in goals scored with 11. And Josh Archibald, another guy you think. Sorry, one second. 
swig of water for the working man. Shout out Stone Cold. But Josh Archibald, another guy you think hey, that's a career minor leaguer. And wow, he's getting it done for the Arizona Coyotes. You look at the numbers, just by stats alone, the team has no business being where they are. That's it's obvious. Don't have a twenty goal scorer. I mean, let's I mean I that's just the goal scores. Leading point getter has forty one points. That's Clayton Keller. It, it, their leading point guy has a is a minus twenty, and that's that's Keller, of course. Nick Schmaltz was an acquisition of lineup as well. It's it it it's fascinating. It's really fascinating, and it's the kind of team you want to see make it in to the playoffs. I cannot go another. I mean, let's be frank. Two weeks seeing the Minnesota Wild in a playoff spot. They're not going to get past six games of the first round, okay? They're a boring team. I'm sick of them. Give me a team like Arizona, because really, they're the only team, they're the deepest team in the in the standings, that is, that is really going to keep contending for a spot as I bring up the standings here around the league. But the Arizona Coyotes, maybe one or two other teams in the West, it's them, it's them in Colorado. Just give me anybody but Minnesota, please, in that eighth spot. We know what's going to happen in Minnesota. They're going to flame out. They're chokers. Can you really choke for the eighth seed? Probably not. But what have they ever done? Do they ever get... Do you really want to see Minnesota go to the second round? Even if they were to win in the first round, do you want to see that boring team that's in semi-tank mode, semi-rebuild mode, go to the second round, just get obliterated? I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't care for Minnesota. I don't want them in the playoffs. Give me Arizona. Give me Colorado again. Colorado, 220 goals this season. 50, almost 50 more goals than the Arizona Coyotes. 13 more goals than the Central Division leader, the Nashville Predators. And they're out of a playoff spot. But the Arizona Coyotes, they're fighting. The Arizona Coyotes, by rights, have no business being anywhere near a playoff spot. But they're doing it. They're sticking up for the little guy. They're going, man. And you got to pull for these Coyotes. Getting it together, they're close. They have a mighty fine core with Clayton Keller, Derek Stepan being in that lineup, uh, Nick Jalmerson, the Oliver ekman Larsons of the world. The defense is stellar. Rick Tockett is looking to be a great head coach. Something is going right there, especially with the goaltending department because Kemper and Ranta are sensational. They have been Kemper this season, that is. And plus, who wouldn't want to see the Coyotes wear the Kachina throughout the duration of the playoffs? Might only be the first round, but who wouldn't want to see that? More, more games with that. Might be one of those teams that wears their alternate throughout the entire duration of the playoffs. That might be enough on the Arizona Coyotes for now. Maybe I'll come back with a little snippet here and there later, but what a story those desert dogs are, certainly. I'm a big fan. I am rooting for the Arizona Coyotes. I'm sure you'll see that on my timeline. Or maybe even on the next show. Maybe I'll talk about them again and give you a little... Coyote tracker, coyote warning. Ooh, coyotes are in the area. All right. 
Next topic, I want to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets and what is going to happen if this team does not make the playoffs with all of the moves that they made around the deadline time. Okay, Matt Duchesne is the first one to come in. He's been mighty fine. He's been okay with the Blue Jackets, all right? You acquire Ryan Dezingle for two seconds, and Anthony Duclair, I believe that was the compensation. Adam McQuaid, you pick him up at the deadline, defenseman. Even bringing Keith Kincaid, I don't know what he's up to. Wasn't waived, I don't believe. I think he would have been claimed. Bring it, I mean, yeah. I thought that was a surefire sign that Bobrovsky was gone on the deadline because why do you trade for a goaltender? But this is a team where you don't exactly know. Heads will roll. Heads will roll indeed if the Columbus Blue Jackets don't make the playoffs. But who is to blame for those heads rolling? And whose heads will it be? Panarin's not coming back. Bobrovsky's not coming back. Those bridges are on fire at the moment, and there's no firefighters to be seen. Not a hydrant to the area, I should say. Is it going to be Yarmo Kukulainen's head that is on the line here? I mean, what do you what do you what what can you blame the guy for? He did all he could to get this team into a playoff spot. They're currently two points out behind the Montreal Canadiens, who I don't think are dropping out of the race. But who is to blame? Kukalainen did all he could. He made some fair trades, acquiring Duchesne, acquiring Dezingle, all the guys that are there right now. He didn't really give up any roster players, unless it's a guy like Anthony Duclair, who's a bum. But what what do you do if you're the Blue Jackets' ownership? John Tortorella, I think he would be gone if this team doesn't get in. But you can't fault Yarmo Kukulainen for the team's on-ice performance when these are all good players. When they got Duchesne, I was thinking, oh my, this Columbus team is certainly a contender now that they got this guy, now that they've made all these acquisitions. But I think that it has to be the coach's head who's on the line. Unfortunately... Let's be realistic here. The GM is going to go also if this Blue Jackets team doesn't get in. I mean, you don't resign. Kukulainen is the unluckiest man in hockey right now. I think any other guy, any other GM would rather have a gun to their head than be in the position that Yarmo Kukulainen is in at the moment. Your star player doesn't want to come back. Okay, great. I'm going to look like the bad guy because I can't bring this guy back who doesn't want to be here. Bobrovsky seems to be hand-in-hand with, with Panarin be hitting the beach together or something going on a couple's retreat together because they seem like they want to play in the same spot and they're on the exact same wavelength i think they they have the same agent i think that came out a couple weeks ago that bobrovsky one of them fired their agent and went with the others but yarmo kukulainen you, you did you did all this stuff and you're not going to have a job at the end of the season even though you you vastly improved the team you primed it you readied it for the playoffs for a run and you aren't going to bring back your star because you can't. It's not your choice. And your team's going to miss the playoffs. I, 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 I don't envy the man. I pity him. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Someone has to take the blame. The only place the only place to go for the Blue Jackets from here is just to rebuild it all, tear it all down, and bring it back up. I really think that. I, I Where do you go if you lose Panarin, if all these guys, all these UFAs that you acquired walk? in the regular season, what are you going to do? 
They still have a good team, I think, beneath Panarin. Maybe you can re-sign Duchesne. Maybe he becomes that new guy. I think that would make losing Panarin certainly less of a hit. It doesn't take away the hit that is losing Artemi Panarin, but it, it lessens it, of course. But Jarmo Kukulainen, the Blue Jackets, they're in a tough spot. I think the coach is the one who is going to take the most of blame, right or wrong. I'm not sure what Blue Jackets fans think about this, what they thought of the trades, who they place blame on, but that'll be important as well, thinking of, I mean, think of the, the repercussions that could have on the organization as a whole. And it scares me because you see how quickly teams fall off, like the Ottawa Senators. Are the Blue Jackets going to be a team like that? Are they going to, are the pieces going to fall from underneath them and boom, because Ottawa is a team that lost numerous foundational pieces after that, that Game 7 lost the conference final in 2017. They lost numerous foundation guys, and, of course, the whole structure fell down around them because they've lost so many guys in one offseason. But the guys that are going to walk, three of them at least, are not staples of the Blue Jackets. Panarin is going to hurt a lot. Bobrovsky might hurt a bit. You do have Corpusalo waiting in the pipeline. But this is a scary spot for the Blue Jackets. They're already a mediocre team. They're already not to be taken that seriously as a contender. It's Something hasn't clicked there. And they still have a, a young defense. They have a bright young defense, that is. Some good forwards. Pierre-Luc Dubois is still good. Josh Anderson's having a great year. There's things to build on if you're Columbus. But, man, something's going to give. In that front office, I don't think Kukulainen makes it out losing potentially five players in the offseason, all of which, I'm not sure if he acquired Bobrovsky, but four of which at least you acquired via trade. So it's going to be one of the more entertaining, to avoid use of the word intriguing once more, one of the more entertaining storylines to follow. As the offseason gets nearer. Doesn't, it's not approaching yet. I shouldn't say as the offseason approaches. So I won't say that. Sorry, I'm going to take another sip of my water. It gets... Uh, you get a little parched when you don't have a partner to take over for you. The next topic I'll like to talk about <clears throat> is the New York Islanders. Okay. The Islanders are another team. They're not quite on the same level as the Arizona Coyotes in terms of shock value, but I, for one, humble brag here, thought that, hey, whoa, folks, slow your roll. I, I think that you might be thinking that the Islanders are going to be a little worse than they actually will be without Johnny T in the lineup. I thought the, the Islanders weren't going to drop out that hard. Of course, you're losing 85 points with Tavares leaving. I'm not going to brag too much because, listen, I could see... You're borderline an idiot, and arguably sometimes I can be one, if you thought that the Islanders were going to be anywhere close to playoff contention without their captain, without the franchise, John Johnny Tavares, in the lineup. But they have found a way to make it work, and you want to know why that is? You want to know what you don't hear every day? You want to know what you don't see on your timeline? I'll tell you why this team is where they're at today. Mitch Korn. All right. 
Mitch Korn has been one of the closest assistants throughout the career of future Hall of Fame head coach Barry Trotz, now Stanley Cup winner Barry Trotz. But Mitch Korn, the goaltending coach for the New York Islanders, is a wizard. The man is a magician. And I have compiled several stats, several trends that we will look over and discuss in this next segment on this show. The New York Islanders are first in the Metro Division with 83 points. They're tied with the Washington Capitals. Last season, the New York Islanders had a team save percentage of 9.03. Robin Leonard, their starting goaltender, was a Buffalo Sabre last season, had a 9.08 save percentage on a dreadful Buffalo team. Thomas Grice was pretty much the Islanders starter last year, I think, if you think. Who were the Islanders goaltenders last year? Oh, Thomas Grice is the first to come to mind. He had a 8.92 save percentage. I That's probably below the ECHL average, I would say. It's 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 dreadful. It's horrible, brutal. There's no. You, I don't even have to say that, folks. If you're listening to this, you know how bad that is. And they had Jarl Holak. Okay, maybe I was wrong there. Yeah, Holak played, but still he had a 908 save percentage. The goaltenders sucked for the Islanders last year. That's the point I'm getting at. Chris Gibson played eight games, 908. Mm, gonna get above that. Well, you bring in a respected head coach, and with a respected head coach comes his staff. And the guy who has followed Barry Trotz everywhere throughout his 14, not 14 years, his 22-year career as an NHL head coach is Mitch Korn, the goaltending coach for the New York Islanders. He was with the Buffalo Sabres in the early 90s. Coach Dominic Hasek to four Vesna trophies, I believe, and then went on to the Nashville Predators where we saw great seasons from the likes of Thomas Volkun, even a little bit with Pecorine. He was one of his first uh, coaches. Yeah, one of yeah one of Rene's first goaltending coaches. His first goaltending coach, actually, in the National Hockey League, I would, I would assume. Mitch Korn pretty much deserves a Vesna. Okay, it's a shame. I hope that Braden Holpe or something. Well, well, well I'll save that point. Let's just get into the trends, okay? And Mitch Korn's name really became a thing, I want to say. That's when I first started learning about him. Uh, in After his work with the Washington Capitals, he replaced Olaf Kolzig, for what it's worth, I know, as their goaltending coach, in 14-15. For the 2014-15 season, with Braden Holpe as his pupil, has a 92 save percentage, up eight uh, thousandths, that would be from up not up from 915. Okay, I'm not gonna go all mathy on you. I'm not here to do that. A 923 save percentage up from 915 for Braden Holpe in 73 starts. That's nuts. That's Martin Brodor levels. That's just crazy. Second year, Braden Holpe drops one tiny little point to 922, but wins the Vesna on a superb Capitals team. All under the tutelage of Mitch Korn. Okay? 16-17, Braden Holtby, 9-2-5, save percentage, wins the Jennings for least goals allowed 
for a goaltender pairing, so he'd share that award with Philip Grubauer, whatever. It was Brayden Holpe's award. It was Mitch Korn's award. Fourth year, Holpe battles some injuries, okay? 54 games he plays. Everyone knows he had an off year. 907 save percentage. But who was the starter for the latter half of the season? Philip Grubauer, of course. And what matters there? His save percentage as the starter. 9-2-3 save percentage for Grubauer. A career year in a year where he had the most starts. I'm just saying that off the top of my head because, yeah, I'm going to assume that was right. Okay, he had the most starts of his career there. Washington Capitals win the Stanley Cup. Mitch Korn, hallelujah, gets a Stanley Cup ring because he deserves it among other individual awards that he deserves and numerous Rolex watches that he is owed by the guys who he has coached because he is that darn good and that responsible for the goaltending improvements on those two clubs. Then he follows Barry Trotz to the New York Islanders. The New York Islanders team save percentage in 17-18 last year was 903. Mitch Korn comes in this year. 928. If you count Christopher Gibson's one start, it's 923. But we're not going to do that. Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice, a 928 save percentage they have combined for in the first year with Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz. Mitch Korn's name is never brought up around the league, and I'm sick of it. This guy is integral. A goaltending coach is huge. A good goaltending coach is huge for any team in the National Hockey League. Mitch Korn, I applaud you, sir. You deserve an individual award. Let's give him... How about this? A new NHL award for a staff... A staff position. Okay, it could go to anybody. It can go to an equipment manager. It can go to any unsung member of a hockey team that isn't a player or a front office guy. Okay, we'll call it the Mitch Corn Award. Hey, honey, I won the corn. Could you imagine going home? That would be worth it in itself. Sending a guy home happy and saying, hey, honey, I won the corn award. I know you were a farmer. No, I, I'm a very good goaltending coach. That's the corn award. But it doesn't necessarily have to go to a corn, a corn coach, a goaltending coach. It can go to, a, like I said, an equipment manager. It can go to a video coach. I don't know, maybe your team led the league in the offside challenges one. Boom, you get an award for it. How about the NHL awards? We make it more like the Oscars. Expand it. Not every award is presented on TV, but you recognize everybody involved with the game. And it's not a popularity contest, though, like the Oscars are. I think that would be pretty cool. The Mitch Korn Award for behind-the-scenes excellence. That would be just a wonderful... Wonderful idea. Mitch Korn, I love you. I'm going to put a picture of you. Like back at the old Winnipeg Arena, they had the picture of the queen. I'm going to do that, but with Mitch Korn, not dressed as a queen, but with a gold frame around it. Sir, you don't get enough credit. That's a name that more people have to know and more people have to discuss. Because, oh, the honors are good. It's because of Barry Trotz. Yes, indeed it is. But also his staff. And Mitch Korn has transformed every goaltending core that he has worked with when he goes there. Now, folks, it is time for the final segment of this first episode of Around the World of Hockey with Luke. 
And what I want to discuss, and I'll probably end the show like this every episode. I'm not going to say every week. I don't know. Episodes might be sporadic, okay? I am going to talk about the playoff picture because my favorite thing, more than anything, more than eating, more than life itself, is playoff hockey. And it's never too soon to discuss the playoffs in the National Hockey League. So, let's take a look at the matchups as they stand right now. Some teams only have 15 games left, some 16. I don't know, maybe some teams have 14 games left. But I'm pretty sure it's 15 is the least. We'll start with the East. Tampa Bay, the almighty juggernaut, the Tampa Bay Lightning. The storm is coming for the playoffs. And they're going up against the Montreal Canadiens. Hmm. Oh, it's, I mean, David versus, we need a bigger analogy. It's, 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 it's high time we have a better analogy than David versus Goliath. Because there are times like this where a team like the Lightning comes around and they could squash Goliath. They could destroy Goliath. Forget about David, okay? Tampa is going to wipe out Montreal in the first round. You know, maybe not. Maybe Montreal does have a chance because of Carey Price. And Montreal is a fun team. They're a very fun team. They're not boring like we thought they were going to be. Mark Bergevin, I think he did a mighty fine job. He deserves some credit. Stop the Bergevin hate train. Shift all that over to Pierre Dorian or something. Because Bergevin made some good moves. And the Canadians are competitive this year. I think maybe they can push the Lightning to six games because playoffs are never easy. But the Lightning, my God, what can you say about them? They pretty much are God at this point in the National Hockey League. They're that darn good. They'll they'll beat the Canadians. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I shouldn't even be here predicting the playoffs because none of these matchups are going to be the same in a week anyway. Moving on. The New York Islanders versus the Pittsburgh Penguins would be another matchup. That'll be a fun one. That'll be a fun one. I think that's a situation where, yeah, the Islanders are the higher seed, but are they really the favorite to win that series? Come on. Matthew Barzell versus Sidney Crosby. Evgeny Malkin versus Anders Lee. Come on. We know who the favorite is in that one. The Washington Capitals versus the Carolina Hurricanes of Hartford is another one. That could be a fun series. I think Washington is either going to do one thing. They're going to completely tank out in the playoffs or they're going to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. I think they are, they've had a bit of a rough go in the regular season. Certainly not how you want to follow it up. I think they had a seven-game losing streak before the All-Star break began. But their team, I, th- I think it's really one of those, it's going to go one or two ways kind of deals. I think they're they're either repeating as Stanley Cup champions or they're, they're bottom out in the first couple of rounds. But Carolina is a scary team. Carolina is a talented team. I think they're gonna stay in the top three in the Atlant in the in the Metro. What are they now? Uh, they're like four points out of the division lead. I don't think they're they're dropping off by any means uh, come this season or come playoff time. I think that they're close enough at the moment. Seventy nine points they're at. So Metro games are going to be huge down the line. Pittsburgh is the first wild card i think they're at 79 points they're four points out of the division lead the islanders aren't even safe in the playoff race i mean who's breathing down their neck maybe you could say they are let's take a look at the nhl standings at the moment who's breathing columbus columbus is the only other team in in the east okay whatever maybe the islanders are safe i don't know but time will indeed tell who knows what it'll look like next week and Boston and Toronto, uh, I'd rather have Toronto and Montreal. I mean, 
is Boston Toronto rivalry sure but like is it the rivalry we want to see no I don't think much people care about it except if you're a New Englander or Toronto I mean it'll be great if their fans can just argue to the you know I'm not gonna go that far but if in some way the fans could be involved and just have them duke it out with each other and render each other unconscious and that would do everybody a great service everybody in the world in the hockey world perhaps but Boston Toronto I mean we've seen it before like do we really want to see Boston Toronto again give me Toronto and Montreal please give me Toronto and Tampa I mean Tampa, Toronto's not going to drop out it, it's it's going to be these two this is like the only first round matchup it is set Montreal is not going to catch either one of them. Write it down, pencil it in. It's going to be Boston-Toronto. Take it to the bank in the first round. Okay, They're both fun teams. They're both fun teams to watch, but it's just like, uh, again. It's like, it's the Minnesota Wild of playoff series. That's how I feel. It's, it's the Minnesota Wild of playoff series. I don't want to see it anymore. Fun teams, but come on, give me some variety. In the West... The Calgary Flames, ooh, that fire has been raging in Western Canada all season. But can they carry it into the playoffs? If standings were everything, we would have a rematch of the Stanley Cup Final 15 years ago. If standings were a true, if they were indicative of what the NHL will look like in June, the two teams that are remaining, we will have a rematch. The Calgary Flames... And the Tampa Bay Lightning. Can the Flames right that wrong of Martin Jelena being denied the Stanley Cup winning goal in Game 6 in overtime at home in 4 Denying Jerome McGinley what would have been his only Stanley Cup. Perhaps cementing Mika Kippersoff as a Hall of Fame goaltender, even. Well, we'll never know. But can that right be corrected this season? I'm going to say right now, the Stanley Cup is not going to actually be Calgary and Tampa Bay. Because the first seed never makes it to the Cup anyway. Who's to think that two first seeds are going to make it? So I don't think that's going to happen. Calgary destroys Minnesota in the first round. Winnipeg and St. Louis. Mm, I'm a Jet fan. Okay. Do I want them? Who do I want the Jets to face in the first round? Not St. Louis. I'd much rather have Dallas, but I don't think that's going to happen. Winnipeg-St. Louis, it's a likely matchup, except they and Nashville. Actually, yes, Winnipeg-Dallas could happen because Winnipeg and Nashville are so close, it's going to come down to probably the final week of the season. Well, yeah, it will. Nashville-Dallas could be a fun Southern series. Is that the stadium series? Is that the Winter Classic next year? I don't know. I'm not going to look it up. I think that might be it, though. Unless it's Minnesota and Dallas. But a nice Southern series. I two oh I I mean the stars are kinda of boring. They have the, the, the perennial bad boy and Alex Radulov is too cool for the National Hockey League, you know, always getting in trouble, always getting benched because he's such a bad boy. Then you have San Jose and Vegas. And a heavyweight is going down in the first round if this match holds up. Put it on the marquee. This is going to be a hard hitting ooh Ben. Golden Knights stocked up. Mark Stone coming in. They stocked up all right. 
And I think they're going to be quite thankful come playoff time if this happens to be the series still, which there's indeed a very good chance it will be. It's going to be a fun, fun race to the conclusion. I don't know. You know, Calgary pretty much has the West or the Pacific in the bag. I think it just could very well be San Jose VGK in the first round of the playoffs. Now, folks, it is time for me to wrap up the show. Maybe next time, maybe next time, we will talk about the playoff format because that's a hot topic. That's a discussion up for debate, as you could say. I enjoyed this, though. This went pretty much how I, how I expected it to go. I'm going to post this on SoundCloud, and it will then be uploaded to Apple Music through SoundCloud. I appreciate your feedback. Leave a comment on our on the SoundCloud page. Tweet me. Again, at LukeTCB, that is L-V-K-E-T-C-B. Let me know what you think. Let me know where I can improve. What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear more production? Guests are going to be on eventually. I assure you that I will work tirelessly. If this thing grows, I will do everything I can to grow it further. All right? Let me know where I can improve. I want to make this enjoyable for you guys. I want this to be the most unique hockey podcast there is. I'm going to do skits, sketches, wherever you want. I want to somehow incorporate some kind of weird thing. Again, I want it to be a hockey variety show, okay? Taking you back to the 1920s, listening, seeing something in your head, imagining it. I want us to enjoy this ride together, all right? If you're joining me, I sincerely appreciate it because I want to grow. I want to grow with all of you of course thank you all for joining me i greatly greatly appreciate it and i will see you in the second episode of around the hockey world with luke Baker. square in the face sunny spacecraft hovering over like a third eye why am i hovering over myself i'm flipping out in the magazine